Hey guys, it's Dan from the Batchat Podcast. We're running our tipping competition again. That's right. Last year we had huge prizes. I think we gave away thousands of dollars. This year it's going to be even better. You have to be a patron though, so head to backchatpodcast.com.au. You can sign up as a patron there. You get access to early episodes and also our merch. It's pretty good. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. G'day guys, this week on Backchat, Dave Matthews, the CEO of the GWS Giants. Incredible insight, this podcast. It's not really something we've done before, but going in at the executive level of an AFL club, uh, he's built his way through uh, the AFL executive, in fact, and um, his story in footy, although he hasn't played at the highest level, um, as an administrator, his story is incredible. And uh, look, we had some funny stories. Uh, I've got a pretty cr- close relationship with Dave. Uh, he speaks about player retention, um, the startup, of course, of the GWS Giants, all the things from the very beginning, the challenges involved in that, right through to a really successful period of the footy club where they uh, go on and play in a grand final. Now, they haven't reached the ultimate success uh, in a premiership just yet, but um, he speaks about the plans to do that. Captain of Toby Green uh, at the footy club, appointing him, and just the ins and outs of what happens at a footy club. It's an incredible interview, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Backchat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Enjoy. It's a good one. Welcome to Sydney Back Chat. We're still here. Uh, got a great Airbnb sorted out by us, actually. Uh, Back Chat brought to you by Fleet Network of season 2023. Thank you for your partnership. We're here with a uh, look. This is a bit of a different episode for us. I haven't uh, stepped into the corporate land of late, but very excited <laughs> to do so. Dave Matthews, CEO of the GWS Giants, is joining us here on Back Chat. G'day, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having Dave. me, Will and Dan. Great to see you guys. Great to see you, mate. Now. Now you're a big fan of back chat, but just to refresh your memory, we ask the same question to every guest we have on this podcast. Uh, we've spoken to Brownlow medalists, all Australians, Olympic medalists, uh, people who won the Ashes. Yep. You haven't done any of those, but you do run one of these sporting organisations. We want to know your greatest sporting achievement. Now, usually we we caveat with well, you can't do it in your chosen sport, but I'll allow you to give us your greatest sporting achievement. Full stop. I know you're a sportsman growing up. I've seen a photo of you uh, in a knee brace running around uh, as a football player. I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> My greatest sporting achievement. On the field. It's yeah, yeah. So it, sport. So it's, it's pretty simple. It's it's when I uh, snapped my interior cruciate. <laughs> Um, which led to my retirement, which started my sports management career. So I'm one of the few people who can say their greatest sporting achievement was actually doing their knee. <laughs> it's actually not too bad. Set you on the right path. Yeah, it that's did. very good. It did. Now, I want to go back to Got the me start. Out of mediocrity. I think, I think it's worth uh, touching on the fact there is a personal relationship here. You're a Geelong boy, Geelong college boy, uh, and at some point in time there you met my elder brother, Jace. Both yeah. best mates. Yeah, that's right. I think I met Jace when uh, we were both about 13, 14, uh, maybe year nine at Geelong College. Um, and I can, you know, our memory of, or my memory of you, my first memory of you was being invited around by Jace to uh, wet the baby's head. <laughs> so I, th- I was 18 when you were born, if you recall, and I went around to your, <laughs> you remember that? your house in Grovedale and, uh, yeah, you don't remember that, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we met and immediately developed a great friendship. Jason and I have been best mates ever since and um, 
Yeah, I remember we enjoyed that night, the night of your birth, because uh, one thing that I, I, I always try to think about is the beers we were drinking. I don't think they exist anymore. They've all been, <laughs> they've all gone out of production. Mate, it was 1989. Yeah, I know. It's the 80s. You guys, drank, you guys drank them all. It was probably two is red or one of those weird Carlton <laughs> draft things that they were trying to produce. But um, no, we've been great mates uh, through Geelong College, and uh, you know, obviously since that day, followed your your journey with interest as well. Geelong fan growing up, you two shared that and certainly uh, imparted that on me as a kid growing up. You you've been big, you've been a big footy man, haven't you? I mean, I know you work in footy and you're leading an organisation now, but you. You're a Geelong fan growing up. Gary yeah, Ablett. I, d- I definitely was. I mean, when Gary Ablett Senior arrived at Geelong, we were probably uh, what was that about 1984, I think. And um, yeah, in, in sporting terms, that's like having Michael Jordan lob into your backyard. So it was very hard not to uh, become absolutely wrapped up in in Geelong Footy Club and what he was doing. I think I mean I probably already loved footy, but I think he he created a, an excitement around the town that. Um, was second to none. He's, I mean, I still think he's the best player I've ever seen, but um, certainly it was a great thing for Jason and I and a whole heap of the schoolboys. We used to just try to get along every week and sometimes we'd even skip junior footy to go and watch him. So you'd actually, I reckon it led to a lot of dropout of, of footy in <laughs> the local area because you just wanted to be there and, and see him play. And yeah, I remember queuing up uh, in 1989, that year, queuing up for hours and hours trying to get finals tickets tickets have been a bit easier since but in 1989 we queued up and um and watched that fi- that final series and i remember thinking at the time geelong are going to just go on and win plenty and then they didn't so um yeah it was great it was great childhood growing up in geelong as you know geelong college a great school and and growing up in the ablett era was fantastic before we go any further, Dave, um, of course, Backchat's powered by Fleet Network for season 2023. We always ask people as well their first car. Oh, yeah. Do you remember what your first car was that you had? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I was never given a car outright um, by mum and dad, but I think I used to drive uh, my grandfather's Volvo or my dad's Mazda 323. <laughs> was it light blue? Am I making that up? Yeah, yeah, making that up. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those cars... <laughs> Both of those cars were white. Um, yeah, no, I don't think we've ever had a light blue vehicle. I feel like there was a light blue car driving in and out. You're a Volvo guy. Originally, yeah, that's uh, that was probably my starting point. Yeah. The, the origins. So, yeah. I mean, talking about starting points, people see you now. You're the CEO of an AFL club. What, what's the what's the career progression? How does that start? Like, where where, where does that start for Dave Matthews out of school? Yeah, so I like a lot of people. I went and did commerce. Um, mainly just to keep my options open. I just, uh, it was down the road at Deakin University and I was still living at home and, um, you know, it's a, it's a 12 hour a week course. So you can sleep in and um, be at the, on the pool table by about three in the afternoon. So um, doing a commerce degree was just, I just sort of followed quite a lot of my mates who were thinking, let's do a sort of broad business degree and see where that gets us. Um, as I said, I was I was uh, injured playing footy, which was not a bad thing because then the local footy league, the Geelong Footy League at the time, were looking for their first ever full-time general manager. They used to have like a voluntary secretary and treasurer who were getting honorariums and they decided um, to put somebody in. And, you know, and I was, I think I was 21 at the time, so I was coming pretty cheap um, and and took the job. I, was, I took the job, uh, a guy called Don Matheson, who was a legend in Geelong who's a World War II veteran. He was 78 years old, voluntary chairman of the Geelong Footy League. He interviewed me in his shed um, and said, you know, do you want to try to use your commerce degree and, and come and work in sport? Um, and so, yeah, I just grabbed that with open arms. Probably thought it was a little bit of a risk in terms of being the first ever full-time employee, how that might work out, but it turned out pretty well. Did you meet him volunteering at a radio station? I did. I think... Um, when there was a there was a teacher out at school, a guy called Jeff Peel, who's a very good friend of ours, and um, he gave me the opportunity to do some special comments on a few games. And I interviewed uh, I interviewed the president of the Geelong Footy League, Don Matheson, one day, and, and afterwards he said, "Why don't you come and meet me and let's talk about your career?" So yeah, I did a little bit of that, and then um, ended up working the Geelong Footy League for three or four years, um, and then ended up with a job running Victorian country footy operations for the AFL, um, working out of the MCG. Um, 
which is a bit like George Costanza working at the Yankees, really. You just, <laughs> you really just, it's a privilege to turn up every day. And, and then from there, I, I, yeah, I got a job. Wayne Jackson put me in charge of creating and nationalising Auskick, uh, which became an executive role under Demetra and, and then into the Giants. Yeah, so that time at the AFL is uh, – now I need to get this right – General Manager of National and International Development. Yeah. Is that right? It is. Did you have a plaque for that? I've been quite It's a pretty grandiose statement, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, the international side of it, you wouldn't say it's booming, but um, <laughs> no, it, was a great, it was a great opportunity. I just, I just remember at the time, like, we had Vic Kick and, and uh, you know, we all had an aspiration to get turning it into a national product and, and taking it around Australia, and it's been such a great program for the game and a lot of sports have sort of copied that but then uh, to take on a role particularly under Andrew Demetrio that was you know, talent pathways coach education I was kick participation generally and then you know indigenous programs and other things it was, it was a great it was a great time and then during that time we also created two new clubs in the Gold Coast and the Giants are you telling me that my Sunday mornings coaching five-year-olds at the moment Sometimes allegedly hungover is your is your fault. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. I I can I can imagine how grumpy you'd be on a Sunday morning. I, mean, I would have thought uh, personally that you'd be at church, not at Auskick. But anyway, thank you, Dave. Uh, what, what was the international part of your job? What were you, what were you doing? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. What we it, it really started from the point of view that all over the world, but and that there's there's expat Australians particularly, but there's also uh, people have just fallen in love with the game. And and the starting point was to try to uh, support or motivate people who wanted to run the game. And, you know, like, for instance, there's a, there's a community competition in Denmark that's basically all run by locals. There's 48 clubs in the US. Um, there's footy in London. And, and there's a mix of whether it's locals or expats. And so the first thing we wanted to do was just try to encourage them and say, yeah, we're going to provide you some resources just like we'd provide to a country footy club in Victoria. Um, and then there was other things we did where we tried to take events. We played a game. Uh, we played Brisbane versus Melbourne at the World Expo in Shanghai. We did those sorts of things. Um, I've been to a couple of the USAFL national championships, uh, one in particular in Las Vegas, which the Las Vegas Gamblers won the Division Three title. That, that was a, a highlight, <laughs> that event. But... You basically, you, I think the game, you know, we talk a lot about the AFL and the wealth and um, the game's built on volunteers and they're all over the world. So uh, if we've got the best sport in the world, then you just try and encourage people to play it and promote it. You didn't have to do that famous speech. I think it was Wayne Jackson, was it? Got, it might not have been Wayne. Got up in front of, looked like a cafe in America and basically said the AFL is just like a big game of chasey or hide and seek. Have you seen that clip? I wish I had it with me. I, I have no, I have seen it. I have seen it. But the, we had a better quote a few years ago. Um, the US ambassador for uh, Australia, a guy called Jeffrey Blyche, he came to a lot of our games in Canberra. And uh, the first game he came to, he actually had been on the phone to President Obama mm. on the way up the stairs. And he said, I've just been talking to the president. He wanted to know what I was doing on the weekend. I said, oh, yeah, of course. Does <laughs> um, he do? And he said, I'm going to go and watch these Aussie rules. And and Obama said to him, you tell those Australians they've got a better game than we do because um, ours is extreme violence interrupted by committee meetings. Um, but I prefer theirs, which looks like a prison riot where you throw the ball in. Uh, so that, I think that's, that's probably good. a better descriptor. That's very good. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Demetrio in that somewhere through the line. He, he was a real role model and, and, and uh, you know, really believed in you from – Quite early at the time of the AFL, you took a spot on the senior executive um, with Gil, yeah. Ben Buckley. Yeah, Andrew Dillon. Andrew Dillon. Yeah. He had a big influence on you personally, yeah. career-wise? Yeah, absolutely did. I mean, he, any young person, I think, coming through any organisation needs opportunity and and Andrew Demetrio certainly gave me a, a very good one and, I, and, and all those other names you mentioned, like Andrew Dillon, Gil McLaughlin, myself, Andrew Catterall, a number of us. Um, we're all basically 30 and put on the exec team for Andrew Demetrio. We're sort of young and hungry and um, oh, he's fantastic to work for. He's, he's such a strong leader and he also, um, you know, he'd appoint you and then he'd have the self-restraint to just let you have a go at the job and get on with it. Um, and he also, he was a bold thinker, so he backed, he backed us in on big decisions um, and all sorts of things, whether it was 
you know, decision to try to recruit Carmichael Hunt to try to disrupt the market or follow that up with Falao or start the two new clubs. Um, no, he's a fantastic leader and um, someone I keep in touch with because he's a great mentor. Did you have to check off with him uh, bringing in the work experience kid in about 2003 to the AFL? My first job, Dan, <laughs> was underneath Dave Matthews at the AFL. That's actually true, isn't it? I'm trying to think. It sounds like nepotism, to be honest. <laughs> I'm trying to mean? think. Well, you're not, I guess you're not family, but... I wouldn't say you made a, me. I wouldn't say you made a significant contribution, <laughs> but I, I remember you coming in. Um, you had you me did, doing paperwork, basically. You didn't have the beard and you had a lot more hair. And um, I mean, basically, if I recall, you just had a lot of selfies with the girls around the office. Uh, <laughs> That's and I mean, it man. wasn't them asking you. It was the other way around. But um, no, no, I remember that well. Uh, work experience. I mean, it, it is, and you'd remember this when when you walk into AFL house for the first time as a young person who loves footy. It's it's a pretty big thrill, isn't it? It was amazing. I remember clipping up vision of the AIS at the time. Uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Sheehan. Kevin Sheehan. Yeah, Kevin Sheehan was head of that department, and he put me with with him for a day. And um, he clearly didn't want to clip up the goal kicking, so he put me in an office clipping it up. And I clipped up the likes of Jared Ruffhead, Lance Franklin. But like, you know, 16, 17-year-old versions of those guys. And I, I remember different conversations along the way. And and this isn't on Kevin, certainly not. But I, at that stage, I was still just a medium-sized, bit lanky, like my footy, not very good at it. And yeah. I remember different conversations around that week with different people. And what, one of them was around me, you know, it's a, it's a bloody, bloody tough ass to get in into the AFL. You know, not many people do it. Yeah. Effectively inferring, look, might as well go get sweet commerce degree out. <laughs> and I had a few of those over the time through that yeah. period. Uh, Terry Whelan didn't pick me in the schoolboys team, and yeah. uh, not that it's on them because there is a lot of people. But that there were some elements of my time at the AFL that was inspirational. From a you know this is how it works, great, but also people not thinking I could make it. Yeah. Was yeah. there any elements for you going through your career like that, or were you a were you a straight line? Go and get it. Don't worry about what people think. Uh, no, I think well, you need people to support you and back you in to give you some confidence. I mean, I, I guess the people who've given me the most confidence through my career are mum and dad and my two brothers who you bounce a lot of things off and, and mum and dad in particular always just encourage you to go and attack things. But, you know, one thing I noticed when you first got to the AFL was it probably really did matter whether or not you'd actually played or whether or not you'd had some relative who played even helped you. So there was there's aspects of, um, yeah, there, there was a f- far smaller organisation then than it is now. And uh, But, you know, what, what you're describing, the talent pathway, you know, generally we celebrate the stories of success, but you you don't hear too much about the young players who fall, fall away um, through just missing out on an opportunity. And it's a bit of a knife's edge, I reckon, particularly with the draft age the way it is. Like it, and we've seen we've seen that in, you know, over the years that there's a lot of players who need that second opportunity and I think that's the same for anyone in life. Um, yeah, we're, not at, we're not at our best at 18, whether that you're an athlete or whether you're an administrator. So you know, it's all about opportunity and perseverance, I think. Mm. What's it like with your brother now? It's, he's quite involved in another club. Yeah. Do you have a bit of rivalry? Is it friendly? Do you, do you talk shop when you catch up or...? Yeah, we do. I mean, we so he's at Richmond on the executive, and we jokingly have a Matthews Cup, um, <laughs> and it's hard for him because I'm the favourite son. Um, so mum, mum and dad barrack for the Giants and absolutely hate Richmond, uh, mainly because Richmond. I mean, I feel for Simon. He doesn't get on aeroplanes very often because they play 22 weeks at the MCG. So um, yeah, when we met in that grand final, we had obviously gone in fairly beaten up, and we're up against that. Um, but he's, I don't think he's forgiven mum and dad for wearing giant scarves to the game. So, <laughs> Any friendly, friendly wages during the season, you know, when, when you guys play each other? It's pride. Well, it's probably no point because he just doesn't pay up. So, you, <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we've got a good – I mean, we actually do love playing. The boys love playing against Richmond. And, um, the, yeah, the Matthews Cup's been – early years it was heavily one way going to him, but um, we've dragged a few back. So you're very much a local Geelong boy, a Victorian – Proud Victorian Dan. Too many West Australians in this room for my liking. But uh, <laughs> at some stage, uh, you, you moved to Sydney and 
uh, a little bit developing the game to start with, but then you, you effectively um, approach for the role to be CEO of an, an expansion club. What Before getting into what that actually involves logistically, what's that like from a decision-making process, your family based in Melbourne, moving them to a new city? Intimidating? Yeah, yeah. look, it is. I, well, we saw it as an adventure, and I'm sure that's how you've probably embraced getting drafted across the West Coast. We, Dimitro, at one point, just said, look, would you do your role out of Sydney for the next three years? Um, and at the time, we we had young children. It was you probably thought it was hard to move, but it's easier to move with young kids in actual fact because you meet more people. And um, so we we were only coming up for three years and um, been here for thirteen, fourteen now. So I, I can't see us moving south again. I just I'm a bit like probably you experience in Perth. The weather's just too good, <laughs> and uh, I get a bit flat when I go back to Melbourne. I I know they talk about putting a roof in over the Tassie Stadium. I'd put a roof out of, over Melbourne completely, I reckon, because it's just uh, – it's and that miserable drive in from the airport, um, sort of I find a bit depressing. But Sydney's weather, the environment of Sydney, the challenge of Sydney, this is the most competitive sporting market in the world in a lot of ways. Um, so it came, was coming up for three years, three years in just before – I think it was 2-11, just before the Giants' first season, uh, the, the – wanted to make a change in terms of uh, giving Dale Holmes a bit of a break, who'd done an enormous job getting it to a certain stage. So I went in for three months and then six months, and they've now been there for 11 years. Um, and, and it's been yeah, it's been a great decision. And even the difference between working at head office and working at a club um, is really stark. So, yeah, enjoyed it. I've got, I've got a lot of questions, to be honest. I mean... Operating in that realm for the first time, effectively, you're starting a football club. You're not you're not going into a role where there's a hundred years of history, fan base, team song, team colours. You're walking into a new entity, effectively. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, quite apart from being an AFL club, it's a startup organisation. So everything that goes with that is flawed assumptions. You know, financial models that. Um, Dimitri once sent me, sent me on a course to Columbia Uni and I remember the professor stood up at the start of it and he said, write this down. Right? We all get our pens, he says. Just remember an Excel spreadsheet is nothing but a quantification of your fantasies. And I've gone, so we've all written it down. And I remember looking at the business model we wrote for Gold Coast and, and the Giants and that's exactly what it was. I was at the AFL at the time and you can make an Excel spreadsheet look like anything. Um, you know, and we're going to be profitable year five and we're going to sell, you know, 36 corporate suites. We're going to sell those out even though the stadium only ever built 12. Um, so there's all these crazy things that you think about and as you go back through it, you look at the initial plans for the club and uh, where we've outperformed, where we've maybe underperformed and where we haven't had the chance to uh, get certain things right. But it's... It's a blank sheet of paper, as you say. Dale Holmes did an enormous job getting things like a Canberra deal in place for 10 years and getting giant stadiums funding sorted out. And I think we chose great colours. He, he, he led that. Um, I think my first day was Melbourne Cup Day 2011. And, you know, you, the, draft, the first draft, which Toby Green and Keneally and others were taken in, was only a couple of weeks away. And we, hadn't, we didn't have a mascot. We didn't have a song. Um, and, and working with Kevin Sheedy was brilliant at that time because he's like, you, you've got to make these decisions. You've got to get these decisions right. Uh, and, and there's a famous Australian band, the Cat Empire, and a trumpet player in that is a guy called Harry Angus. Harry Angus took it upon himself to write our theme song and he emailed it in to the AFL and it sat in someone's inbox for I don't know how long and then he emailed it again and finally, through a mate of a mate, got it to a guy called uh, Joseph Laposta, who was working at AFL New South Wales. And I remember him coming to me going, look, I know you've got to choose a song. Harry Angus has submitted this song. What do you think of it? You, know, you need to have, at least respond to him. And, and that I think that's become one of the great songs in the competition. So this is the... He wrote it. that. He wrote that, yeah. Wow. That's cool. He wrote that and he came to the club one day... Um, uh, very weirdly, his mum and dad turns out worked at Deakin University. Geelong University. Yeah, and they'd asked my mum and dad to babysit him one night. 
and I think I was there. And we had this weird connection that we we chatted about. But he came along um, and bought his trumpet and he'd written the lyrics and he sat around in a circle with the likes of Kevin Sheedy, Mark Williams, Luke Power. Um, there was a number of the players all sat in a circle. He said, look, the number one thing we're going to work on is you guys need to be able to sing this. I can sing it, I can play it, I can record this. But if you got, if you can't sing it, then yeah, this is this is a failed course of action, basically. So he ran this workshop just singing this song, and I think it's Luke Powers credited with putting the words "Never Surrender" into it because it was basically that part of the song was just an instrumental, and he and Mark Williams and others were talking about the yellow and black in the Richmond song, that you've got to have something that you can really belt out or the crowd can get into. Um, so, yeah, those sort of decisions, those opportunities, writing song, writing a song like that um, or re- receiving a song like that, you, you go, gee, there's some – what are the great decisions we've made? What are the decisions if we had our time again you might change? But it's been good fun. You mentioned Sheedy saying you've got to get that right. Well, I mean, in hindsight, thinking about now, he's, he's right, isn't he? Like he must have had a – Big impact on the fabric of the footy club, and is that why? Like, is that why someone like him was there, given his experience in footy? Yeah, I think I think the decision, and he and I chatted about it. We we're flying back from Darwin one day, and I was still with the AFL, and I said, "What are you going to do?" You know, Essendon had just um, moved him on, and he was working as our as an AFL ambassador at the time, and we talked a bit about Barassi going to the Sydney Swans way back. Um, I said I should talk to Dale Holmes and Demetra about whether or not. Yeah, should we consider this option of you coming up coaching? Um, and he he was he was all in because he he's just I think he's the greatest marketer the game's ever had, um, and and I think he gets underestimated by some people uh, within the industry in a way that probably sells him short at times. I think it would have been the beneficiaries a lot of the, lot of the things that Kevin Sheedy's done. So. When he came up, one of the things I think that he brought immediately was he had, because he had nothing to prove, he was happy to play the kids and pursue a strategy of we're going to develop young talent and eventually um, you know, they'll grow up to be able to compete properly. So he wasn't worried about wins and losses. He was more worried about winning quarters. Um, right. And you could get beaten by 140 points on a weekend and he'd, he'd walk through the business side of the club Monday morning and he'd, just, he'd be just lifting everyone's spirits. So he's a whole of club coach. He was just, uh, he was outstanding to work with. Um, and he just, you know, I remember when Demetra asked me to go in, I said to Sheeds, what do I need to know here? He said, well, he said, what, first thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure that the players want to turn up for work um, because they're playing 50 hours of footy a year and the rest of it's preparation and anxiety. So get it, get it right. <laughs> You're like, okay. <laughs> so he was great. He was brilliant. How um how much did you learn from the Gold Coast um, coming into the competition? Was that like a nice building block for you guys to work on bringing the Giants in? Yeah, I think one of the things that, whether it was a learning or just a realisation, is that uh, I think a lot of the mature, everyone seems to think that there's this idea that the Giants just wanted to build on young talent and didn't try to pursue mature age players, which... Is, is false in part, but what happened because the Gold Coast came in and Gary Ablett Jr. was almost one out, um, I think a lot of the players that might have been considering an opportunity with the Giants sort of looked at Ablett and thought, okay, this is difficult, just being pretty much the one-man band that he was. Um, they're both they're, they're different. You know, we came in at similar times, one year apart, but they're different challenges. There's more of a natural AFL market on the Gold Coast. So we knew we had to do things differently. Um, And I think we also made decisions uh, a bit differently based on experience. We got Kevin Sheedy, we got Gubby Allen, um, and then we went and got some effectively playing coaches. We got Chad Corns, Dean Brogan, James McDonald, Luke Power. So we had this this core of um, almost playing coaches in and around them. And then I think what Silvani and Gubby Allen did really well was get some guys that weren't that far ahead in age of our draftees. Um, so the uncontracted players they secured, Callan Ward, Phil Davis, uh, Reese Palmer, Tom Scully. Davis and Ward in particular, only being sort of three years older than the draftees, uh, proved to be exceptional um, acquisitions, great leaders. 
still there today. So, yeah, I think you do. We still compare notes with the Gold Coast quite a lot in terms of what have we got in common, what haven't we got in common. But in some ways, we probably more look to the Sydney Swans about what their journey's been. I've got lots of different angles to go with this, but let's sort of stay with performance. Um, we spoke to Toby Green uh, uh, yesterday. Um, spoke about his career and you say he was in your first draft in 2011, effectively he, was, he played in your first game, was a midfielder, all of those things. He won five games in his first 50 games. Yeah. So that development with those senior players, but from that point on, um, effectively, 2016, so that was in sort of the first you know four or five years. 2016, you make a prelim. 2017, you make a prelim. 2018, semi-final, lost a tough one. 2019 grand final. So, although it was that that early period was difficult, losing. Yeah. Um, you've been a successful club. You made finals five of the ten years you've been in the competition. Effectively, five, five yeah. eleven. Um, what are your reflections on that period? That difficult period of losing, moving into a success. That's, that's a successful period of of, of winning. Yeah, it is. I, look, I think it's built on people like Toby Green. I think you know it's one of the things that we probably particularly early on drafted people with great character and resilience and and they all lived together initially at, at a place called Breakfast Point on the Parramatta River, which is almost like it was almost like a US college style setup. It was it was a place that Kevin Sheedy's wife Geraldine decided to, they thought would be good for them to live at. And then when they moved in there, Kevin Sheedy and Gabby Allen decided they basically should put all the young players in together. So there was this collegiality amongst the playing group that I think held them together. 2012, our first year was really exciting. 2013, I reckon, was demoralising for a lot of them. And Toby and, and others would reflect on that. And I think Phil Davis and others. And I remember having conversations with players at the time saying, is this going to work? Yeah, will we survive here? Because you thought you'd be better and you, you won one game. Yeah, so we won two in the first year, one, one in the second. 2013, you could see some... Some sort of green shoots, two fourteen, fifteen. Um we probably missed two fifteen after some significant injuries mid year. We're probably heading towards the finals. And then two sixteen, uh, the likes of Steve Johnson came come to the club and complimenting the forward line what he sure was giving us in the back line. That that was a very exciting year. We were, we were absolutely flying, uh, got knocked over by the Bulldogs. And as you say, and that and our financial performance correlated with on-field performance, which is not surprising, but it's it's a really fine line when you if you miss the eight, it's it's a difficult uh, business to run. But yeah, we we made finals 16, 17, 18, 19, hit budget all those years. Um, coming out of nineteen, you think right, this we're on here. Um, we've got the right mix, and and we know where we're heading. And then COVID hit. Um, mm. And we were effectively out of um, we were out of Sydney, and therefore Canberra for you know, a couple of years. So it's been, I think, over we're just, we're a young club. We've played eighty odd games at home, um, so we've we've still got a lot. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. To look forward to, and I think this year's been, been um, yeah, very good so far in terms of showing people what we're capable of. In terms of moments, mate, I want to show you this. Tell me, uh, tell me what this felt like.
<laughs> See you there off to the side. That's in the race at the prelim final, 2019. Um, what's that feeling like? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, you've experienced it. You've experienced more than that. But, uh, you know, to actually to get there um, and under a bit of adversity was just incredible. And that the backstory to that a little bit is is I was sit, we, we got a fair way in front and halfway through the last quarter, we're absolutely surrounded by Collingwood supporters. And I just couldn't stand it anymore. And so I went and got in the – I think they kicked a goal and I went and rushed and got in an elevator and went straight down to the rooms and put the game on on my phone, which is – when you look at it, it's pretty pathetic because <laughs> um, I should have just sat there and, and ridden it out. And then with a couple of – I get down there and I go, what am I doing? Just get up the race. I didn't expect those boys to be in the race. I didn't know where they were because I think we'd arranged it. A, a suite or a spot for them to all to sit and then I walked up the race and there they were and um, I don't know it just worked out pretty well because then then we hung on and uh, oh, it was an incredible feeling and then grand final week I mean I know the result didn't go our way and was difficult uh, in terms of a bit of a blowout by the end but uh, that week and the way it, it engaged the people of Sydney and the way the Orange Army came to Melbourne it was it was a great period regardless of the result yeah, I um, I was going to say I, I um, you see AFL CEOs around the league, and some of them act differently. Some of them are you know you never see their faces. Some of them are very upfront. Um, you are pretty passionate in that moment and, and up and about. Is that how you sort of always carried yourself? Like, is there any element of you like oh, I should be a bit more proper to sit down? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's good, but you don't see it very often we like it yeah absolutely oh, i think it's it's an it's an emotional game like I, th I think one of the things that's happened with the afl over the journey is we you know the industry talks far too much about money and profits and and uh and business principles and business lingos crept into it in the end you're running a footy competition and you or you're running a footy club and um we're all in it because we're emotionally connected to the game um so one of the reasons I, I preferred working at a club to head office because of that emotional connection. I actually liked the roller coaster, the win loss, um, and I remember at the time, in say two thirteen, when we were really at a bit of a rock bottom um, spot in terms of morale and and confidence and where the club might have been heading. You remember thinking, getting to know a guy like Callan Ward, you just wanted to do everything you could to make Callum Ward a premiership player. Same with Phil Davis. Same with the players who've stuck with us, like Cornelio, Toby Green, Nick Haynes. Uh, there's a number of them who started the club and are still there. So, you know, it's not hard to get motivation out of the fact that you're trying to build something special and you want to see people like that rewarded. Yeah, so I, I do get... Uh, I'm very emotionally connected to it, I think. Um, yeah, and that's played out in a variety of ways, whether it's you know, challenging tribunal hearings or occasionally having come from head office one of the tensions has been at one at what stage do you cut the umbilical cord um and when you're sitting on the other side of the table and they don't like being criticized and you don't like being hard done by so there's this tension that that emerges um but i yeah i make no no apologies at all for being fully invested for the club and for the fan base we've built to talking about that fan base, like I remember early days, you're not getting many people to games. Um, there was a there was a group of uh, fans dressed as monks. Yeah. <laughs> what, tell me about that. Well, there's a, a great mate of mine and your brother Jace is a guy called Eric Johnson. He's an, he's an American uh, who moved out here oh, many, many years ago now and he's just one of those people who whatever his mates are doing, he gets behind them and... Um, he just loved our colours, the orange, and decided, you're having trouble you know, forming cheer squads, why don't I just um, put something together? And I said, when we, when we played in Melbourne, he was living in Melbourne at the time. So, he, he, yeah, he developed this thing, the Mad Monks, and they'd come along and <laughs> dress up in sort of skin-coloured swim caps and all sorts of stuff. And <laughs> I think it culminated in uh, our very first game at Geelong, uh, Eric and Jason about... 
25 blokes from Geelong College formed our cheer squad and held up our banner and they were helping out. We got a great cheer squad, by the way, and it formed really early, but it was quite small in numbers when you were travelling. And you know, basically there's all these Geelong College guys who barrack for Geelong sitting behind the goals in these mad monks out, mad monk outfits, <laughs> uh, drinking beer, having a good time. So, yeah, it's, it's been a weird and wonderful journey. Yeah, it has. Um, back in footy realm, did you ever try to recruit me? Uh, was I ever on it? Was I was my magnet ever on a list of people that I could have got to the GWS Giants? Yeah, yeah, it was because um, you and I had a beer. I'm trying to think what occasion was it, um, and I said to you, "How do you enjoy the weather in Perth?" Because uh, I think Sydney's got a similar climate, <laughs> um, and we need someone to come and help Phil Davis with Buddy Franklin. <laughs> um, but you were pretty settled by then. Yeah. Um, I think you'd maybe just about to have your first child. Uh, we fair, I, I, I actually always wondered, like, we've dealt with this thing called the go, you know, the go home factor, whether it's real or not real. I think it's real for some people and not for others, but. I've okay. always looked at your journey and wondered whether you felt that at all. I don't think we've ever really discussed it, but did you? Or? Yeah, I, I reflect on it a lot. We we were we did have a beer together. It was my dream team breakup, and you were in Geelong doing something else, and Jay sport you over for a beer. And then I had another conversation with you, and I reflect on this one a bit. I was driving my car, and you rang me in. It was just a conversation. It wasn't a, anything other than that. And you you said how how I was going. You were checking up on me, basically. Yeah. And it was um, it was actually the preseason of 2015. Um, <clears throat> I'd just been dropped in the preseason, wasn't getting a game, and I wasn't in a good way. I must have spoken to Jason and spoke to you. Then yeah. very quickly gave me a call, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I I it was a, it's a bit of a turning point, right? Because I wasn't getting a game, but I've always to, to answer your question, <clears throat> I've always had a certain sense of loyalty. Um, not one club player that doesn't mean much to me. I don't, don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but certainly do respect, appreciate, and and have a loyalty to people that have backed me in. Mm. And I talk about the time when I spent as an AFL as a fifteen-year-old. Um, but right at that moment, I, I could have very easily said, and you could have very easily made it happen. Yeah, um, yeah, mate, get get me over. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not getting yeah. a game. But I, I really felt like um, it would have been a, maybe an easier way to go and get you know, get a game. I was competing against Eric McKenzie, Mitch Brown at the time. Yeah. And within two weeks of that conversation, they both did their ACLs, and yep. um, you know, I was I was basically like they they forced they were forced into believing in me again, basically, and <laughs> yeah. we made a grand final on the back of what we did as a backline, and that, yeah. that's not you know, overstating what we did that year. It was the Weagles web that was reported in the media, but basically <laughs> yeah. we just played this you know defensive structure. We helped each other out, and it it was it was honestly sort of like a two week you know sliding doors moment that they don't do their ACLs then. You know who, know who knows what that could have looked like, but the going home factor was never. Jet, you know, even even contract time, you know, that oh yeah, I'm homesick. That I never played that card ever. Yeah, and it and it, it never has been. I mean, I'm from Geelong, mate. Unless I was at the Geelong Footy Club, yeah, I would have been away from home anyway. Been an hour away in Melbourne is just you know it's not that much further. Three hours on a plane to Perth, is it? It's, <laughs> it's funny the go home thing because I mean some managers. There's there's some great managers in the comp. There's some really average ones and. Some of them will will play a go home factor card, and you go, "Well, you actually don't. You actually don't know you play better than I do." Mm. You know, he's he's reasonably comfortable. So why don't we just? What are we trying to do here? Because it, <laughs> you know, it, it's in his interest to try to hold the list together. And but it, it's funny when you you know when recently when I was down seeing Jason, there's a heap of Geelong College boys, and uh, we were playing Geelong the next day. It was Toby Green's two hundredth, and I still get questions from schoolmates like. Gee, you must be torn tomorrow, you know. Like I know you work at the Giants, but deep down you're still Barry for Geelong. Like, <laughs> like it's you fucking serious? <laughs> like you guys deluded? I mean, you work for Coca Cola, you're quietly barracking for Pepsi. Or, I mean, so it's just it's like just a stupid question. And what happens over time, I reckon, too, is you you tend to end up if you're getting to know people, you end up starting barrack for the individual almost, like. So you know, I've followed your career closely, and every time you're playing Geelong, I'm or the if, if you're not playing the Giants, I'm barring for you. Yeah. I'm wanting you to succeed. Like one of the great days in my um, AFL journey was watching you tail up the goey and win the premiership, and then drinking till four in the morning with Jace, <laughs> and then getting up at nine a.m. to have a bloody mary. 
<laughs> and I think you're probably still out. But, um, you know, that's that's the reality of it, that you get to know people like Callum Ward. Footy's allowed me to get to know some of the best people I've met in life, and that's both men's and AFLW now. But you know, Toby Green, Stephen Cornelio, Callum Ward, Davis, you could go on and on. Um, all you want to do, what really drives you is trying to, you know, enable them to have the sort of success you've enjoyed. That's what I want to be able to do. What's the biggest challenges of a uh, startup expansion club? What's the what's what do you what do you look at when you walk into that footy club? It's a fan base because it's you're in behind enemy lines. The, the, the AFL, I think, in Melbourne in particular, exists almost in a vacuum that they don't really even acknowledge or understand any competition to a lot of a lot of in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, we're, we're we're trying to do almost what the Melbourne Storm did, or even if you started, you know, second NRL club in Melbourne, you're trying to. It's a big market, but you've still got to try and win share. So yeah, being only a young club stands to reason that we've got a young fan base um, and we're impatient um, to try to build that and fill the stadium up. And you're competing against clubs that are 100 year, 130 years old, 150 years old. They've had generations of support, particularly in Melbourne. And yeah, the, the journalists that make me sort of laugh the most are the ones who sort of take some cheap shot about the crowds of expansion clubs i mean my, firstly they're, they're the beneficiaries of, of of jobs in an industry that's pretty good um and secondly they were probably barry for clubs that are 150 years old and and you know we're trying to build a fan base also this this is an interesting one i reckon that we play live against the gate so when jason and i started barracking for geelong you couldn't watch it live on tv you had to go and so clubs like Collingwood have had 130, 140 years of generational history of you've got to go to actually watch this team um, live. And then it's only you know, the last 20, 30 years where games are live against the gate. So in short, it's, it's saying we've got this unbelievable game. The game's 150 years old. We've only really been having a crack at Western Sydney for 10 or 15 years. Um, how do we build that stadium up? And yeah, it's interesting, Will, because you've been at West Coast. My view is this club at some point will be like Geelong Footy Club in terms of reserve seat memberships. There won't be enough seats at Giants Stadium. We'll have to get a bit bigger. And in, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, it could be as big as West Coast Eagles. List management, trade acquisition, you know, acquiring players, um, both yeah, retaining guys on your list because you've had some guys taken away. It's, very public. Yeah. Um, you've acquired some, which you've spoken about, but there's been big names that have been linked that haven't been signed, etc. What's some sort of insights you can give from, you know, both you know CEO's point of view, but you know, inside a footy club, how how those ruminations go about? Well, you've got to make great decisions. Obviously, you've got to you've got to get decisions right, and that it's made harder by virtue of the fact you're selecting eighteen year olds and trying to forecast future talent. I think we've generally done well. We've generally retained the players we've wanted to keep. Uh, there's always a lot of discussion about the sorts of players we've, we, we've lost. There's probably only one or two come to mind that you would have liked to have really held on to. Others, you, others you're juggling saying, well, we've got a pretty strong portfolio. When you're, playing, when you're playing finals four or five years in a row, you should be under salary cap pressure and you should be under pressure to retain all the players. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's... It's, it's complex in some respects, but it's also just a judgment call from people like you know, Jason McCartney and now Adam Kingsley saying, where do you place your bets? Um, do you prioritise Tom Green over other midfielders? Uh, where do you see Finn Callaghan? Um, and, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to make sure the culture's one where they want to stay, they enjoy living in Sydney. It's really fundamental to us that, they see a prospect of success. I think one thing we've learned off the Swans is that they've defied gravity and continue to compete, and and I think that's helped them you know, hold their their club together or hold their list together. But yeah, you know, this is a great Sydney's a great place to work and play. Our stadium smack bang in the middle of Central Sydney. Um, players have got a great lifestyle, great opportunity, um, and that's what we continue to sell. But we you know, we're still really impatient to win one. What um, what involvement 
uh, is it like a collective sort of situation when it comes to list management and things like that? Is there one person that gets the final say or do you as a CEO get to get involved in the football decision making um, or are you pretty hands off with it? I make all the good decisions, they make all the bad ones. That's probably the best way to look at it. There's another one of my favourites from journos. They'll say, they talk about CEOs getting too involved in football. You get, it's a football club. You're the CEO of a football club. So it would stand to reason that you get involved from time to time in football decisions. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Jason McCartney and his team, but um, I think it's just a situation where you play a role if there's a role there to be played. If I can help convince Toby Green that this is where his future lies um, or if Leon Cameron's better to do that or Adam Kings or whoever, it's just sort of horses for courses a little bit. Um, but we all get very involved. I mean, uh, the economic engine, <laughs> now talking in business terms, but <laughs> the economic engine of our footy clubs, our football performance, and your football be- performance is predicated on the on the talent you've got, so you, you know that you often look at it as what's what's your in in simple terms, what are the assets you're acquiring, what what do you need to retain? So I think everyone plays a role. I think it sort of sounds like uh, the Giants and Gold Coast and probably a few other clubs around uh, uh, need to be like approached and run a little differently to others, given the history and, and all the challenges we've just spoken about. Would it be fair to say that? There's, that you've, you've had a fair American influence on the way you look at things maybe as a leader and if that flows on to what happens at GWS or is that not correct? I don't know where that sits. Yeah, I think, look, I think so too. I mean, it's, we're just, in our purpose, in our state of purpose, it actually starts with to create a club like no other. So the one thing about the Giants that we realised really early on is we're not trying to be Richmond, we're not trying to be Collingwood or you, you can't just take... Um, in some ways, they have almost a maintenance plan rather than a growth plan. This has got to be – we're still in a – just coming out, I guess, of startup phase. So you've got to be able to do things differently and think differently. And we're, you know, we've probably been put here to try to disrupt the market and create an AFL audience. So there's a number of things we look at. We looked at you know, the NHL, just got the, – the team that just won that, there's a startup expansion team placed in the desert. Um, <laughs> you, know, you look at the way – the branding journey of some of the American clubs has gone. We've all been watching Wrexham recently, thinking, you know, do we look for some um, look for some private owners and build out a documentary? And yeah, there's there's all sorts of things that I think we we want to contemplate and think about that traditional AFL clubs don't. You love your travel. Um, I know you've been to some big sporting moments, some big events across the journey. Do, do a few stand out to you along the way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you say, like it's just and, – and it's a combination of we – we all love sport, I, and I do, and love a variety of sports. And, and if you can combine that with a bit of travel, I've been pretty fortunate in, in what I've been able to get to and see. I, I think the best sporting event outside of AFL that I've seen is probably the 2000 Olympics and the Cathy Freeman final, which I watched with your brother – um, and then um, offshore, I got a younger brother Tim, older brother Simon. We took our dad for his birthday to a US Masters, which uh, you go over with high expectations. I reckon they're exceeded. It's unbelievable. It looks great on TV. It's even better there. I've been to a few Super Bowls, which have been brilliant. Um, probably in the category of like a lot of Australians, where the halftime's entertainment's more entertaining than the game itself, <laughs> which I reckon is the reverse for the AFL. I don't think we should get too worried about that. We've got a great, we've got a better product, I reckon. That's a good point. Um, I've been a, got an opportunity to take Kevin Sheedy over to meet Sir Alec Ferguson. We went to a derby, Man City versus Man United. Yes. I think you might have spoken to him about it. Yes. Um, and yeah, Sheedy was, Sheedy was always, he's famous for saying that there's only pe- three people have done 27 years it's Kevin Sheedy at Essendon, Alec Ferguson at Man United and Nelson Mandela on Robben Island. Um, <laughs> and so he, he, he had this opportunity to go over and meet Ferguson and so to be on a fly on, fly on the wall for that uh, and see a big derby, it was a great game. Wasn't, wasn't there some people in that box? Yeah, no. there was. That was, uh, that was the one on the way over where um, we were being hosted by Nike in their suite and they said it was actually the game is at Man City. They said there's a chance... 
Liam Gallagher from Oasis is going to be in the suite. <laughs> yes. Um, so do you want me to tell this story? Yes. Yeah. So I said to Sheeds, we settled into the settled into our seats on the plane. I said, you might want to just let him know because he can be a bit erratic, a bit unpredictable. He may not even turn up, but. Uh, Liam wanna... or Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> Liam, both. So he said, just let him know that. So I told Sheeds, I said, look, Liam Gallagher from Oasis may well be in this suite. It never heard of him. And I said, <laughs> I said Oasis, at the t- you know, when you were coaching in the early 90s, ask Heard and Lloyd and Lucas and these guys. They'd know him. He's the, the Oasis was probably the biggest band in the world at the time. So I'm, I'm starting, I, I pulled the old iPod out and I'm playing him some songs as we're flying over. And he's saying things like, fuck, don't look back in anger. Where was this? When Essendon sacked me, what a song. Gee, these guys are gonna... <laughs> I said, look, so that he might be in the suite. There's two quick rules of giving us. Don't ask for a photo and don't talk to him about his brother. Right. Uh, because <laughs> he, he and Noel have had this massive breakup. And, uh, yeah, so you can't talk to him about that. And then uh, uh, we get into the, the suite and he's not there at the start and introduce ourselves around. And then suddenly comes bro- you know, breezing in with this massive glass of champagne and he's announced himself, um, and then he got introduced around to everybody. He let us swear on this. I've been yeah. sworn a couple of times. Fuck yeah, <laughs> oh, So he says to um, he walks around. He's introducing himself to everyone. He says he says to Sheeds, "Are you the fucking manager?" And uh, Sheeds goes, "Yeah, well we call it a coach, but yeah." He goes, "Right." He said, "How'd you know that?" He goes, "Because my security guard is from Australia." He's from Western Australia, actually. And uh, so he goes, why have you got an Australian looking after? And he said, because if a fucking fight breaks out, I want an Australian with me. <laughs> and he said, yeah, fair point. He said, well, he says he knows your game. How fucking good were you? And Sheed says, oh, it was okay. And he said, and Gallagher said to him something like, did you ever play in front of 300,000 in Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> and Sheed said, no, the best I ever did was... 100,000 a week for 22 weeks for 27 years at the MCG. <laughs> Did fucking Oasis ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Gallagher says, he's got his champagne, he says something like, fucking touche. And then he walks away. We watch the rest of the game. They, these guys are getting like a house on fire. And uh, I think it was uh, Man, Man United went up 1-0 and... Man City scored the equaliser and Gallagher threw himself over the balcony into the crowd. <laughs> what? Uh, and it wasn't a huge drop, but it was reasonable. Because that meant Man City guys, right? Yeah. yeah. And so he's bounced out and he's come back up and it's half time. <laughs> and he's talking to Sheeds and he says, we should get a photo. He, he, he asked for a photo. Um, so we got this photo with Sheeds and then everyone was sort of, you could hear a pin drop, they're chatting away and Sheeds says, how's your brother going? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no, what are you doing? <laughs> give, me, give me a agree on that. And Gallagher said, I'll fucking tell you how he's going. He's in a box over there with Tom Cruise. And I'm here with you, you geezer. <laughs> 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 so funny. And then Cruise was in town promoting his Mission Impossible film. <laughs> and she'd said, he said, look, you want to know how my brother's going? You know, we're getting offered a lot of money to get back together and, and play again. He, she'd says, no, no, I don't care about your music. I don't even know it. Um, I'm just saying life's short, mate. Um, build a bridge with your brother. You've got to get back together. You know, you'd need to – and do it out of the spotlight. Just um, reconnect, mate. You know, I've, I've dealt with my own family and I've dealt with a lot of families and I just think it's a huge mistake you're making. And everyone's like – Gallagher said something like, you know what, I've engaged five lawyers and I'm paying them a lot of money and no one's given me any advice as good as that. Um, and then and they just got on really, yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, it was – it was a bizarre situation to be in. And then the next day, man, I think Man United won 2-1 and the next day we got to meet Sir Alec Ferguson and, and uh, Sheeds had bought him this bottle of wine, Margaret River Red or White or something, really expensive. And on the way to the way into the stadium, it falls through the bottom of the bag and smashes oh, everywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> so he explains it to him and we walk in. And Ferguson says, look, I'm hungover anyway. I didn't need a bottle of wine. <laughs> and then we sit there for about 40 minutes chatting. It was good. Look, amazing experience to sit there and get involved in. That's very That's good, mate. Good. Um, I don't know how to bring us back to footy now. That was a bloody good I, story. I've got Dave. a footy question for you. Um, someone involved in sort of 
you know, executives around the AFL and you've worked at HQ. Um, is there any of a, a chance that AFLX makes a comeback? <laughs> Did it get a start? <laughs> I mean, I think I felt to me like they didn't quite give it a, enough of an opportunity. There was Super Duper League. It was in yeah. There's a fair <laughs> bit of there was a. I mean, I assume there was a fair bit of investment behind it. The the idea was good in terms of being able to play it on grounds that don't don't have to be cricket grounds. Um, I'm not sure. It's not it's not a massive priority for the Giants, <laughs> but. I, I think the concept wasn't silly, that's for sure. I've got a couple of quick fire. Sort of on that a little bit. I mean, we're in a massive state of origin state. State of origin was a couple of nights ago. Does that do, – do you? where do you sit on the state of origin? Yeah, Is I'd it, play it. Yeah? I'd play it. I don't know how frequently you play it. I think we've got to reach a point, even at under-18s at the moment, I think it's it's a bit embarrassing for the game that we've still got a thing called the Allies. Mm. Like 54% of Australia, you should be able to field a New South Wales team and a Queensland team. Um 800 players in the men's comp, there's something like 11 out of Sydney. It's just not enough. You can't call yourself a national game. We've got a national competition. We don't have a national game. But can you imagine in years to come if there was a side out of New South Wales um, origin that could take on Victoria as an example or Queensland beats WA or something? Um, I love the concept because we invented it. The AFL actually invented state of origin. The NRL picked it up and it's their showpiece. And when it's when you're living in Sydney, you've been here this week. It just dominates the media. Yeah, and and there's no room for anything else. Um, yeah, I like it. Yep, good. Mm. Um, expansion team Tasmania. You've been involved in a startup. If you've been, they asked you about how to do it, or are they, and if they asked, would you tell them to go and sort it out yourself, figure <laughs> it out now that they're a competitor of yours, or where where's all that sit for you? Yeah, they haven't. I mean, they haven't really engaged us too much because I think it's an entirely different challenge. Um, I think it's the right thing to do, starting a team in Tassie, and I think the competition, in aggregate sense, has the money to be able to do it. Um, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't it doesn't add enormously to the economics of the competition, but it's just um, I think it is the right thing to do. It's just a different it's a different challenge. I think um, you know what's happening in. Um, New South Wales and Queensland is we've added two teams to try to build up a presence in 54% of Australia. So it's just a it's a different challenge, but we're supportive of it. Yep, good. And last one, I mean, you can talk about this. If you, it, it, was, it was relatively public, I think. We interviewed for the top job at the AFL. Yeah, there was, we had, I think at the time, you know, Richard Goyder had the head under talk to a variety of people. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I guess... Um, that was a process that sort of started and stopped and then got picked up again. I I think Andrew Dillon's a great appointment. Um, I've worked with him for a long time. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, one of the most decent people. Very humble guy. Cares about the game. Um, I think it's a great outcome. Could have easily been he or Brendan Gale. And, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly one that we... we in, in way back when we started these clubs, he was very involved in the Giants in particular and, and the Suns. So he understands what we're trying to do. So he'll be great. You got anything to finish off for Dave, mate? No, I'm, I'm just, I just hope the AFLX is just put, put up somewhere, you know, as a talk. Pretty sure point. Oasis is getting back together, by the way. They, <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't they come out and save Man City? I reckon Oasis getting back together is a better chance of seeing AFLX come back. <laughs> let's just right. see. That's a shame. Now, usually we finish off with social media, but I've just been through seven of our questions and I reckon we've answered almost every one of them, Dave. Um, I'll give you a couple uh, just to finish off. Uh, Ninoc double underscore. Uh, did you expect the Giants to make the grand final in their first 10 years? This is from our audience, Dave. Hmm. Yeah, I did. I did because I think... Um, we're very, very driven to get those building blocks in place because I reckon to open the market up, um, that that's what we needed to do. So a lot of our decision-making about uh, the club was based on that. Uh, I've got one from John Dawson. Uh, was Buddy Franklin ever a serious chance to come to the GWS Giants? Yeah, I think he was. I think he was. I mean, I, <laughs> this is actually a good one because the, uh, there's people at the Swans who say, look, he was never a chance. And I said, well... Why'd you offer him ten million when we offered him seven point two? Because if he was never a chance, you should have offered him six. Um, so uh, that's they're just simple maths. But 
Uh, yeah, we had some really good conversations with him. We were we were um, pretty ambitious about trying to target a big free agent when someone came available. He happened to be the one at the time. We missed out. Probably the irony was we lost Kohler as well. Hmm. Yeah, we missed Franklin and lost Kohler. But uh, the money we'd set aside, you know, in very quick fashion, Gubby Allen went and secured Mumford, Heeshaw, and Josh Hunt. And then in the years following, that money was paying for Mumford, Heeshaw, and Stevie J. So I reckon we, um, I reckon we got a really strong return. Franklin's been massive in Sydney. He's obviously a super player, but. You know, at the same time, one thing that we love is we've played the Swans three times in finals and are undefeated. So, yeah, it's a good record to have. Just Very good. Uh, finish off with the egg man, please, Dave. Uh, how does Dave like his eggs? You know the eggs uh, poached. Yeah, yeah, poached. Poached. Is that yeah. all you need? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's well done. Uh, Dave Matthews. That's it, mate. Did you have fun? Thanks, guys. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's good. good to chat. Mm. Nice to see you, Sydney place as well. Yeah, very good. Um, you can find all our stuff, backchatpodcast.com.au or over at backchatstudios.com.au. Big thank you to Fleet Network who are powering our podcast for season 2023. Uh, our sponsors, Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras. You know that sponsors make the world go round, Dave. They do. We love ours. Uh, our VIPs. You can sign up to Patreon for one more question, one more Might story. Might be Jack Buckley related. Yeah, I'm going to ask about Jack Buckley over at Patreon. Um, sign up to Patreon wherever you can find the stuff. Uh, great to be with you, Dave. We appreciate you joining us, mate. Thanks, mate. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.